0: In today's episode, I'm hanging out with Peter Thornhill, the author of Motivated Money. We talk about his investing philosophy, eight-figure portfolio, and how he's invested in shares that give him over $400,000 in dividends every single year. Hey, this is Andrew from the Medical Money Podcast. Here we share tips and tactics to help doctors earn, grow, and protect their money. Please share it with your colleagues. Peter is a well-known character in the Australian investment community. His book, Motivated Money, is in its fifth edition, and his philosophy to investing has changed the lives of thousands. Today, Peter shares with us his investing journey. He explains why we should all invest in dividend-paying companies, how to use debt recycling as a tax-effective way to enter the market, and how we can benefit from the current corona correction. He even answers some of the questions from our audience and explains why doctors make terrible investors. I hope you enjoy this episode as much as I enjoyed chatting with Peter. This podcast is not financial advice and all opinions expressed by podcast participants are solely their own. Please seek professional advice before making any financial or investment decision. Peter, thank you for taking the time out to have a chat with us today. How are you and your family going during the corona crisis?
1: Um, not too bad. If one or two casualties. A daughter-in-law who was made redundant. The youngest son is now working only one day a week. But apart from that, the rest of the family uh, are taking it all pretty well.
0: Yeah, And how about yourself? Are you? I um, understand you live in a uh, apartment. Are so you yes. getting stir crazy?
1: No, not really. Being semi-retired, you know, we would have gotten stir crazy a long time ago. No, there's a lot of things to do. And interests, uh, books that haven't been read, etc. So no, it's not at all painful.
0: Oh, fantastic, that's uh, that's good to hear. I'm I'm, I'm down about ninety plus ninety five plus percent of my income and dealing with learning how to look after two young children who are not at school at the moment. So yeah, that's uh, I think I prefer the solitude of a small apartment in Sydney. Um, all right. So, well, I just dis- I discovered your book, Motivated Money, about a year ago. Uh, in fact, I was looking at the receipt this morning. It was the 13th of April last year. And from it, you really changed my approach to uh, investing and opened up my eyes to the concept of investing for income rather than just going for the next big growth stock, which is very common for you know young investors. There's so much I'd like to cover today. So I was hoping we could break up the interview into four sections. I thought maybe we could first visit your personal journey. Mm-hmm. Then we'll go into... Um, explaining your investment strategy and the principles. And then we can move into your your tactics in the current economic climate. And then if there's any uh, questions that we haven't already covered, I do have a number of listener questions that uh, they they put into our little chat group forum. Um, Could you start by telling us your story and how you got into the world of uh, finance and investment?
1: Yeah, okay. Finished uh, my last year at high school in 1965, having failed my matriculation. Um, got a clerical job with an insurance company and uh, after a few years there met this lovely lady who became my wife and we took off on a working holiday for 18 months which didn't finish for 18 years. We ended up in the UK where again a few clerical jobs then working for a merchant bank and the 73-74 oil crisis really rattled the bars of the cages and I inherited a lot of clients of the, the bank investment clients of the bank and uh, that became I guess my introduction to the financial planning side of uh, the industry Worked there for about 10 years then went to work for a funds management company in the UK and after a couple of years was headhunter to come back to Australia work for a number of fund managers And in 2000, um, quick to go out on my own as an author and public speaker. The catalyst, I think, for me was the wonderful, wonderful apprenticeship that I had in the United Kingdom. Absolutely pure gold. That time there absolutely changed our fortunes irrevocably for the better.
0: Right, so what what were the things that happened over there that you think, uh, do you think they happened over there and could not have happened in Australia or it just happened that you were there?
1: Um, It could could happen in Australia, but unfortunately the mindset here is very different. Um, The thing that I became subconsciously aware of was how wealth was created and maintained and it was a case of people creating wealth, living on the income and being custodians of that, passing it to the next generation.
0: So they've got a much more um, uh, old money and old generational wealth that's been passed yes. out that needs needs to be looked after compared to young Aussie, Australia, young Australia.
1: Yes, but underlying it all was the investment in good businesses.
0: Yeah. And so what does life look like for you now?
1: Um, pretty damned uh, splendid, to be honest. Uh, yeah
0: yeah i know we've only started the conversation i haven't even bought you a drink yet but uh, a lot of the questions that were asked in uh in the forums were how much what's the size how big is it how much has it gone down and how much are you getting each year i know you've been quite open uh with your previous um uh, interviews would you you, are you comfortable answering those questions
1: yep yep we're down about the sorry the prices have brought the portfolio back about 4 million Mm -hmm. And we are presently sitting on an income of just over 400,000 a year. But I expect that that will take a little bit of a hit. But being very old fashioned in how I was reared, we will do what my parents did and we'll tighten the belts and uh, maybe only travel abroad three times a year instead of
0: more. And yeah, maybe avoid um, cruise ships for a little while as well.
1: I would never set foot on a tuna can. (laughs)
0: Yeah, uh, what's the reason for that?
1: Well, I I just find the whole concept (laughs) abhorrent.
0: Yeah, I spent three nights on one about three years ago, and I have no uh, plans on getting on back on one very soon <laughs> or anytime soon. I think unless the knees and hips didn't make it possible to, to do something where I could go walking or riding. Yeah. Uh, good. All right, let's move on to your principles and strategy. You talked about your time in Europe, having a very different, pers- giving you a very different perspective as to what you might have experienced in Australia. Mm-hmm. What are your rules and principles that you think are uh, you know important for investing successfully?
1: Well, I mean, the two basic principles are spend less than you earn, borrow less than you can afford. And as I try to encourage young people, and it's difficult, I must admit, um, it's it's all about starting with a rock-solid base, then investing it productively, and from there, um, utilising that cash flow that is generated to do any one of a number of things. When the boys were young, we reinvested, uh, we put them into small share portfolios, we reinvested the dividends and watched it grow. For Frieda and I, I used the dividend flow from our investments to pay off our non-tax deductible mortgages and convert them into fully tax deductible investment debt. And in retirement, the cash flow now supports a lifestyle that we could only have ever dreamt of when we were young.
0: Mm -hmm. My son is five and last year when he was four, I started paying him $2 a week of pocket money. And we split that between three jars of a a savings jar, a spending jar and a sharing jar. And that's working quite well. And this little jar of coins is now quite large when you include uh, like Chinese New Year money and uh, Christmas and birthday money as well. And so at some point we'll have to start rolling that into his uh, investment uh, account, hopefully tax effectively.
1: I think it's so important and for me, again, with hindsight, with our three sons, it was very much a case of monkey see, monkey do. Exhortation by a parent is pretty much, you know, it's a case of dad, talk to the hand, the face ain't listening. Yep. So with our three boys, it was a case of monkey see, monkey do. And yep. that has indelibly been imprinted into their DNA And so they're now following very comfortably and happily in my footsteps.
0: And so when you say young, what was the age that that you started your uh, boys? You Uh, got three boys?
1: Yeah, three boys. They worked as gophers at the local garage in uh, Motovale Roads and Ives. And so I took money off them. Uh, So they were stuffing fridges and cleaning toilets and so on. I took some of it off them and put it into, at that time, managed funds of the companies that I worked for. They paid quarterly dividends, so we reinvested those, and birthdays and Christmas, we could top them up, and we just kept that going and going and going until they were in a position to take charge of it themselves.
0: Yeah, I think that's where, for me, getting in early with my son, Lisa, talk to the hand. He's still kind of Look, listening okay. to the face at the moment. I think once he hits kind of that 13, 14 teenage years, that's when the hand was going to start coming a bit more, so I'm trying to slide it in earlier rather than later. Yeah. Um, on family, you also have this equation for relationship nirvana when it comes to finances. Can you explain that?
1: Yes. Again, this is only with hindsight. The, my experience in dealing with lots and lots and lots of people is the perfect outcome is two savers. The less than perfect is two spenders and the absolute disaster are a spender and a saver because one of them will spend their life white anting all the efforts of the other. And I have seen it so many times and it's horrifying.
0: Yes, that's right. Yeah, it's, and it's hard to know, isn't it? Because quite often the money conversation doesn't come out significantly into the relationship when people are probably looking at moving in together and stuff now and then, uh, you know, or after being married. Um, you mentioned earlier that your approach to wealth generation changed during your time in the UK because of, um, you know, long duration money being, having to find a custodial place. Mm-hmm. How when you said investing in businesses, because my perception is that you know a lot of this old money would have been kept in mansions and property and real estate. You talked about buying um, uh, income generating companies. Can you elaborate on that?
1: Yeah, basically productive enterprise. Businesses, shares, whatever you want to call them, they fundamentally reflect the endeavors of the human race. And it's having that cash flow that is absolutely crucial and using it productively um it's it's interesting because the time there if i could just relate a little anecdote one of the listed investment companies in the uk that i became aware of has been going for over 100 years it has just celebrated its 53rd year of consecutive dividend increase now call me simple but I'm very impressed with an investment that increases my income every year for 53 years. And if you run your mind back through the timeline, just what sort of waters have flowed under the bridge in those 53 years?
0: Yeah. And you've got lots of nice graphs in your in your book, which for me was kind of looking through the chart that we normally see, of whether it's the S and P five hundred or the industrials index. of have just seen the left side and the right side based on share price. The graphs that you have in your book are incredible in just showing the total return, where you include uh, dividends and also the reinvestment of those dividends, which is something that I hadn't really thought about. I hadn't ex- hadn't expected that the um, the returns were actually that much greater than just the share price and asset value alone. Um, I kind of look at my investment portfolio investment or in my investing as a like cultivating a a garden in my backyard where you get to choose what you put in there and people some people choose property some people choose shares what's the reason you've chosen shares and do you just do publicly listed or do you also do private um, uh, investment funds as well
1: not at all it's all publicly listed and I must admit as I uh, get older I am spending less and less time focusing on individual shares. I want someone else to take care of it. So this is why I like the old-fashioned listed investment companies. And having stepped back from the industry, I now employ a financial advisor because, to be honest, Andrew, I have got better things to do with my time than sit here in retirement in front of a damned (laughs) computer screen wasting my time.
0: Yeah, I love I love hearing you talk because you do call it as it is. Remind me of uh, a footy coach I had, where basically it was you know, the aim of the game is know where the goals are, then put the ball through the goals, and and that's basically it, and then forget about the rest. Um, just so I want to go a bit more into what your portfolio construction has been over time. But first of all, like using the garden analogy, obviously there are things that you don't have in there. Can you give us your um, uh, why you've chosen to leave out other investment classes like fixed interest and bonds and real estate?
1: Well, because there's only one real asset class that produces the goods. It, it's the basis of, of human endeavor. And uh, you compare any other asset class to a quality basket of, of good companies, and there is just no contest. Because if that were not the case, Andrew, and again, call me simple, if you could make more money investing in property than running a business, why the hell would you go and start a business?
0: Yeah, that makes sense. And uh, on the topic of real estate, you do go into quite a lot of uh, detail about why you say real es- or shares are your preferred uh, asset class to real estate. Can you go into a bit more detail with that?
1: Well, Yeah, a- again, um, Stockland, Mervac, Meriton, and Lend-Lease would be familiar names to most people. And they construct properties. They then sell them to people who buy them for investment. If they were a brilliant investment, are you telling me that the management of all those companies I've just mentioned are being absolutely stupid in selling it to you because you're going to make more money? So property um, is not something that um, the the big investors are necessarily interested in. It's the high-quality companies doing something productive. Actually, the best quote I've got for investing is the use of money productively to produce a regular income. And I think that sums it up really, really well. So number one, I don't have resources. Number two, I don't have property and I don't have cash or fixed interest. I'm in the one asset class that I know historically has produced the best result. The problem is that it's in people's faces every day. So the consequences are that when markets move like they do now, everyone goes do lally and the herd stampedes off into the distance in a cloud of dust.
0: Yeah, in one of your videos you, you explained that uh, if everybody's house price was flicked on a screen 20 times a day, there'd be a lot more buying and selling of uh, family homes as well.
1: Yeah, absolutely. It's the lack of liquidity with property that gives people the impression that it's safe. And it's the liquidity of shares that gives the impression that it's risky. You know, Commonwealth Bank's share price went from 64 to $26 during the global financial crisis. Are you telling me that in the space of a year, 80 months, Commonwealth Bank lost 60, 70% of its business? I don't think so.
0: Yeah, I think at the moment there's a lot of guys who are pressing refresh on their screen multiple times this day, just watching the uh, enjoy enjoying on some days the upward volatility and, and uh, uh, not so much the down days. Um, the other thing about, yeah, sorry, go on. My
1: advice is get a life. I've got an attractive wife. I'd rather fiddle with her and press her buttons than the damn computer.
0: <laughs> yeah. Um, it, also, on the real estate uh, and fixed interest, you also talk about the yield trap. Can you talk a bit more about
1: that? Yeah, that's one of the things that I think has destroyed it's too many retirements. Um, the yield of a, an investment is a very simple function. You take the income you're receiving, divide it by the amount you have invested, and hey presto, you have this abstract number called yield. So a $100 term deposit paying $10 in interest has a yield of 10%. Now, you apply that to shares, property, etc. You do the same thing. You divide the dividend by the share price and you get the yield. So, this abstract yield is hostage to two dollar values. Either one of those or both fluctuating can alter the yield. The reason the yield on shares is relatively low is because the companies are retaining part of the profits and the businesses the share prices are rising in line with the dividends so the yield as a as a long-term constant is relatively low four and a half five percent on average now you look at a term deposit paying ten percent and the problem with that is that it might be ten percent ten percent ten percent the shares are only paying five percent five percent five percent But as the value of the portfolio rises, it's 5% of 100, 5% of 200, 5% of 500, 5% of 1,000. So the dollar value is increasing and the yield is going nowhere. And yield basically tells you nothing apart from arithmetically where the price and the value sit on a graph.
0: Yeah, I think at the moment, you'd be pretty hard-pressed to find a, uh, a fixed deposit uh, that was paying 10%. So now that we've said you don't invest in real estate, you don't invest in um, uh, mining companies, can you explain in broad terms the composition of your current portfolio?
1: Um, well, it grew like Topsy uh, absolutely randomly while I was working in the industry because I worked for a number of fund management companies. So I was in amongst all the big fund managers so it was luck not judgment but um, I was buying direct shares then I became aware that there were listed investment companies similar to what I had become accustomed to in the UK and I became more interested and started to shift towards that and now that I'm retired to be honest I do not want my wife to inherit a portfolio of 50 or 60 shares I would like her to inherit a portfolio of maybe three, four, five listed investment companies all paying dividends that increase for the next 53 years.
0: And now a quick word from our sponsor, ShareSite. ShareSite is the simplest way to monitor and manage your share portfolio. If you own shares, you know how tedious it is to maintain a spreadsheet of your holdings. There's transaction prices, brokerage, confirmation notes, and dividend payments you'd need to account for. If you're an active trader, paperwork is an absolute nightmare. ShareSite takes care of all of that. I discovered ShareSite in 2019. It was like being gifted with another set of eyes and my own personal portfolio accountant. ShareSite automatically calculates capital gains, dividends, and franking credits. It even automates brokerage, dividend reinvestment, share splits, and exchange rates for my overseas holdings. You can even give your accountant advisor access so they can take care of things at tax time. You can try site for free and manage a portfolio of up to 10 shares. As a valued listener of my podcast, I've twisted their arm to get you two months free access if you decide to upgrade to their premium features with an annual subscription. Visit this link, medicalmoney.com slash ShareSite. That's S-H-A-R-E-S-I-G-H-T to get started and say goodbye to spreadsheets forever. And now back to my conversation with Peter. So you've really streamlined the process of looking just at publicly listed uh, companies that can, can manage it and simplify it for, for future generations and, uh, when you're not around anymore.
1: And you know, the best bit, Andrew, with a listed investment company, each one of them is probably investing in 100 or more individual companies, but I don't see them. So if one goes bust or there's bad news or there's good news, I don't see any of that.
0: Yeah. And so that's happened. When did you start focusing more on the LICs versus having direct shares? Because is that something that's changed because of your personal age um, situation or is that a philosophy change that that you're moving?
1: I think it was more a philosophical aspect because working in the industry, you can imagine every day, day in, day out, in the financial services industry, it was everyone was talking about price, price, price. What's this doing? What are the prospects for the share? Blah, blah, blah. So it's probably over 20 years now, 20 years ago, that I opted to move more towards the listed investment companies. I mean, I love them to bits. They're old, they're boring as hell, but they are absolutely consistent.
0: Yeah. So if we were to unpack your current portfolio with regards to LICs, what would we find sitting inside your uh, your portfolio bag?
1: Oh, anything that's more than 40 or 50 years old. So you've got things like uh, Milton, you've got Argo. Milton floated in 59, never failed to pay a dividend. You've got Argo, got Whitefield. I like Whitefield particularly because it's 100% industrials. Um uh, Bk, Sol, Pats, uh, others. Um, you've got, uh, yeah. There's there's a whole raft of them. So it's about five or six. And I'm gradually, with the assistance of my financial advisor, as and when it suits, selling down the direct shareholdings and shifting the capital across to the listed investment companies.
0: Okay, right. So you actually reposition your portfolio as well, rather than just adding uh, new funds to the uh, to the LICS. Yes. Yeah, okay. Um, and so a lot of people have really gone into the ETF game now and exchange trader funds and since the GFC have really exploded and there's ETFs for, for everything, really, uh, with some, some of them trading with such small amounts of um, capital. Why do you choose to go with LICs versus ETFs?
1: Um, it's simply the structure. Um, uh, an ETF is a, is a, um, a trust structure. And a listed investment company is what its name describes—a company that is listed on the stock exchange. So an ETF is a managed fund, as we know them, you know, issued by managers. And being a trust structure, certainly one of my concerns, and one of the reasons I eventually departed the industry, was that trusts um, have certain, have different tax regulations. A trust must distribute 100%. Of its income every year there are no retained earnings unlike a listed investment company because the company can retain earnings so you can get some extraordinarily ragged distributions from an exchange traded fund and if <laughs> certainly in my experience just a, a quick example from a personal point of view a quarterly distribution of for argument's sake, $800, courtly distribution of $800, Quarterly distribution of $800, the final distribution for the year was $13,000. That was my capital being paid back to me, it was fully taxable in my hands and the managed fund went ex-dividend by that amount. So I'm watching my unit price going backwards, I'm paying tax on my capital and I'm sorry, I don't like it. So mm. I am not interested in the structure of an etf
0: yeah okay that makes sense uh and i think the etfs have also done a good service for the lics in the sense that they've really pushed them to be a lot more um or lower their their uh management expense ratios significantly that they're almost on par now for some of those uh licks that you mentioned earlier on
1: well exactly because i mean milton for example runs on an uh, an expense ratio of about 0.12 or 0.13 so to me, it's not so much the expense ratio. You could have a, a fund that invests in cash and uh, you're paying, I don't know, 0.1% or you could have an equity fund paying 1%. I would rather have my money in the equities paying 1% than in a bloody cash fund only paying 0.1% management fee. Honestly, we're fiddling. At the, at the back, you know, you're messing around in the boot instead of under the bonnet.
0: Mm, yep. yep. And how do you, on entering positions, how do you enter positions? Is it spur of the moment or when there's money in the bank or do you dollar cost average on specific dates?
1: Totally and utterly random. But I must say, and this uh, refers back to earlier comments about our kids, Andrew, the um, listed investment companies, the old-fashioned ones, have... You know, on and off uh, regular capital raisings, either a share purchase plan where you get a, a one for 10 issue of new shares, uh, sorry, a share purchase plan where they can offer up to $30,000 without a prospectus or a rights issue of new shares, which might be two for 10 or something like that. There's no brokerage. They give a small discount to the current market price, but these pop up from time to time and it has been a fabulous discipline for our three sons who now hold these listed investment companies because they don't come running to me saying, oh, dad, do you think this is the right time to invest? They are now as silly as I am and they pick them up when they become available and if you look at any graph of the stock exchange, it's up, down, up, down, up, down. But the trend is always upwards. So as I point out to people, OK, I bought high, I bought low, high, low, high, low, high, low. high, low. But the underlying line up the middle, straight line up the middle is still rising, 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 rising.
0: Yeah, you make a good point that uh, in your video that um, you draw a straight line from like 30 years ago to to the present day in a straight line, rather than looking at all the fluctuations and volatility along the way, but also that you read the graph from the left side to the right side, uh, rather than the other way around, which is (laughs) how a lot of it would be read it. Yeah. And do you spend any time analysing, I think I know the answer, the discount or premiums to net tangible assets with the uh, licks that you buy? Never. Good. And um, with dividend reinvestment plans, do you advocate people just going full maxed out all of, on those during their accumulation time and, uh, and then changing across into you know, taking that as an income? What have you done there?
1: Um, well, whilst I was still working, um, I was reinvesting dividends, but I do not use dividend reinvestment plans. Um, I discovered very early on that it made more sense for me. So, for example, when we came back from the UK, we eventually, because you can't get long-term lease, residential leases in Australia, we have been forced, sadly, to uh, own property. Um, I was able to borrow relatively cheaply against the property and use that to buy the shares. The shares I then used as additional capital repayments of our mortgage... So, I've had these lines of credit floating around in the background. I mean, the mortgages have all gone, wiped out, but the lines of credit have remained. And so, I've encouraged our boys to do exactly the same thing, starting off small, borrow two or three years dividends, use the dividends to pay off the loan. And when the loan's been repaid or going down or there's a a share purchase plan or rights issue, you redraw the line of credit to buy more. So you aggregate the dividends and reinvest them in meaningful lump sums rather than having this trickle of tiny amounts of money. Mm
0: -hmm. Okay, that makes sense. And in the meantime, it's decreasing your mortgage uh, as well. Good. And how about exiting positions? Uh, What's your approach to selling and and getting out of uh, stocks? You've mentioned now that you've changed a little bit more just for simplification purposes, but prior to that?
1: (laughs) Uh, I can own up, Andrew. The biggest stuff-ups I have made have been my sell decisions.
0: Errors of commission.
1: Unequivocally. So, for example, if I invest in parcels of, say, $50,000, if one of the companies i've invested in goes belly up i lose fifty thousand dollars the other side of the coin is um, i'm a shareholder in pacific dunlop pacific dunlop have incubated cochlear when cochlear the bionic ear manufacturer becomes profitable and dividend paying they float it to the public and their shareholders so i became by accident a shareholder in cochlear at two dollars fifty Now,
0: yeah, they've just they've just done a done a cap raise at one forty, haven't they?
1: Yeah.
0: Which is which is about twelve percent lower than their uh, the trading price on that day.
1: That's right. Well, that's you know that's chicken feed to to the stuff up I've made.
0: Yeah, two dollars. Yeah.
1: I've got them at two fifty, Andrew, and uh, they go to twenty five. They go to fifty. They go to seventy five. They go to a hundred. So I think this is crazy. So I sell some. They go to 125, I sell some more, 150, I sell some more, all the way. So I can state categorically that the, the dumb decision of selling, and I've done exactly the same with CSL, the costs that, to me of those sell decisions is in excess of $3 million. I should have shut sat on my hands and shut down all the noise around me, yep. and just left the damn things alone. So the biggest mistakes I have made have always been sell decisions. I've had one or two companies go belly up, but I could only ever lose what I put in. But the opportunity cost of a stupid sell decision is just as dumb as a buy decision that goes bust, but a magnitude far greater on the sell side. Yeah, that and makes sense. I now employ a financial advisor. I don't want to do it. I don't have the knowledge and I don't have the skill. I couldn't analyse a company's accounts to save my life.
0: Yeah, so it's really just following your own philosophy of long-term buy, hold, a company that makes, is going to make money and does something good for the economy and then just sit on it. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I just want to get You'd explain your debt restructuring. Uh, we talked about it before, about you talking, you know, getting your sons doing it. In Chapter 13 of Motivated Money, you explain how to use a line of credit against your home to invest in shares. Mm-hmm. Can you just explain it um, to listeners who are not familiar with how this works?
1: Okay. You have a house and you have a mortgage. Um, if you have the, the facility available, I encourage a line of credit, modest to begin with, on the... Beside the mortgage. So two separate accounts. One is the mortgage, which is not tax deductible. The line of credit, if used for investment purposes, is tax deductible. And all those people who go bonkers with investment property know exactly what I'm talking about. they got their home and they go and buy more and more and more. You then use the dividends from the shares as additional capital repayments of your mortgage. As the mortgage goes down, you increase your line of credit to buy more shares, which pays more dividends, which reduces the home loan. So you increase your line of credit, which pays more dividends. And so you get this circular process going and the dividends are increasing from by two factors of two. One is the organic growth of the underlying dividends themselves. And secondly, is you are reinvesting them and they're producing even more. So this thing is a fabulous geometric upward curve, and you, as I say, you know we wiped out three mortgages. We moved from Melbourne to Sydney, then when the kids left school, uh, left home. We sold and moved to the eastern suburbs, so we've gone through three mortgages, but they've never been around for more than four or five years.
0: Yeah, so it's basically shifting the tax deductibility, but also growing your equity base in a yes in a tax effective way yeah
1: that's right we get uh, franking credits with our dividends which people don't get with rent and it costs us nothing to hold those shares whereas holding property there are substantial costs so i mean i could go on
0: yeah well there's a lot of people who might not be even getting rent money at the moment with their massively leveraged uh uh, property portfolios as well You've spoken to a lot of doctors. What are the biggest issues that you think doctors face when it comes to investing and just Uh, finance in general?
1: Well, yeah, it's been... I've had some pretty funny times with the medical profession at various conferences that I've spoken at, and uh, my overriding impression is they will do everything in their power to destroy their incomes to avoid paying tax, um, which I think makes negative gearing property um, an absolute, uh, almost a must for, uh, the, for people. Um, but again, they're, they're professional people and it's very rare that they will take professional advice. Um, and I, I just think from conversations that I've had with these people over, with the profession over the decades, there's, yeah, it's very difficult to uh, make sensible investment decisions, I think.
0: Yeah, I think uh, you know, there's there's definitely book smarts and intelligence, but there isn't necessary domain transferability of um, knowledge and aptitude in a, in a totally different sphere. Hmm. I think we used to yeah, looking after patients and looking after money involves a different set of uh, knowledge and skills uh, compared to our day to day clinical work. Um, so, you mentioned advice and doctors not wanting to take advice. Um, you, you pay a financial advisor right now. What's the rationale behind this and what value, value do you get out of it?
1: The value I get out of it is that I can spend my entire time doing all the things we, we, love, we would love to do. So we can up sticks and take the entire family to Santa's Village with our five granddaughters to Santa's Village on the Arctic Circle in Lapland. We can take the whole damn family to Disneyland in Los Angeles. Now, I don't want to waste one minute of my time. Money is my slave, Andrew. Mm -hmm. Too many...
0: Not the other way around.
1: (laughs) to their money. So we do what we want to do. So number one is putting out or outsourcing something that I'm not good at. The second, and I guess at this stage, it's more important, if anything happens to me, my wife picks up the telephone makes one phone call and she can put the phone down knowing that her life is going to continue in exactly the same way it has, but she will be able to spend all my income as well as hers. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah, that makes sense of simplifying that process as well, if and when it happens.
1: Again, just from experience, Andrew, can I say that um, some of the worst cases I've seen is where uh, spouses have abrogated responsibility for the finances to the par- their partner and something happens to the partner and it is horrible to to witness our next door neighbours. 54, yep. lovely couple. We have travelled the world with them. Lovely couple. At 54, the husband dies of a heart attack. Um, the wife discovers all sorts of things she had no idea about. um and watching her deal with grief and anger was not a pretty sight. I did yeah. not want my wife to ever have to go through something like that.
0: Yeah, I think it's also that someone knows where all your stuff is. I think there's a lot of us with um, with nano drives lying around with you know thousands of dollars worth of cryptocurrency sitting on that that potentially would just be thought of as you know a PowerPoint presentation, but they're actually holding the keys to, you know, lots of money. Basically, it's been a lot of hard worked hours. Uh, Good. Now let's um, maybe move on to your tactics and, uh, you know, the current events at the moment and how things might've changed right now. We're in the midst of a global pandemic with interest rates at record lows. You've obviously stayed invested through many market downturns in the GFC. You backed up the truck and bought hard despite the market panic. Mm -hmm. Can you run us through what you did during the GFC?
1: Um, Yeah, I've got the lines of credit sitting there. I've got all this money locked up in this lovely apartment and it's doing absolutely nothing. So I utilize that as the source of the lines of credit. And I topped up on, well, again, during the GFC, it it was purely financial and of our own making. Credit markets around the world had locked up. Banks eventually wouldn't even lend to other banks because they didn't know who the next Lehman Brothers was going to be. The only place companies could come to raise capital, fresh capital, to bolster their balance sheets during a very difficult period were shareholders. So we had all these companies knocking on our door saying we're having a rights issue, we're having a share purchase plan, raising fresh capital. And it was an absolute godsend. Because, you know, uh, Commonwealth Bank, $64 to, 30, uh, to $26. West Farmers, 42 down to $13 and so on and so on and so on. So yeah. we were able to buy their income stream at a massive discount to their existing or, the, or their previous.
0: So were you just buying into rights issues or were you averaging down as the price um, took a hit?
1: Well, yeah, just to show you how silly I am, um, CBA went from 64, it hit 50. And I thought, "Well, you know, here's an opportunity, so I bought some more. They went to 40 and I thought, "Well, here's another chance, so I bought some more. At 26, I tightened all my sphincters and I bought some more. And the funny thing is that people have said to me, well, why didn't you wait and buy them all at 26? And I said, well, I didn't have you there to tell me, did I?
0: Yeah, that's right. Yeah, it's always easy in hindsight. And were you using leverage to get into these positions or just pulling out from cash reserves?
1: Within the super fund, I was utilising capital that or cash that was sitting there, but with the lines of credit, it was just, just p- piling in, drawing down on the lines of credit.
0: Yeah, it's so really just... Uh... Uh, tightly up the sphincters, keeping your keeping a spare pair of undies, and going in hard, and expecting that over the long term you're going to be fine. Yep. yep. And so, like to me, it seems that this pandemic and Corona is a little bit different in that that GFC was really Wall Street then hurt Main Street and and you know mum and dad investors, whereas this one here is it's Main Street and the lack of spending that is hurting Wall Street and and the share prices. Um, what's your how are you approaching this corona correction, and, and what's do you have a shopping list of things that you're um, now buying into?
1: Well, well, not not particularly, Andrew. A, because, you know, to be honest, my wife and I have all that we need. Um, so I'm not desperately, you know, busting a gut to, uh, pl- to to make it bigger and bigger and bigger. It's doing that all on its own. And, and you're right. I mean, this is going to uh, really knock a hole. I love history, and I go back and I look at my parents and grandparents. Grandparents, two world wars and a depression. My parents were teenagers during the First World War. Um, And I think, how did they survive? And you don't think that the six years of bombing had a a rather nasty effect effect on uh, manufacturing in Britain? We will come out the end of this just like we have with every pandemic, every war, every disaster that that uh, gets thrown at us. So I'm not panicking. I'm just doing what I've always done, a snip here, a snip there, and under guidance. And we will just tighten our belt and make damn sure that our family unit stays together, love our friends and so on to bits, and just get on with it.
0: Yep, that's that's great. Oh,
1: Andrew, sorry, and turn the damn television off.
0: Yeah, yeah, the the noise, I think, separating the signal from the noise has really become a big issue where previously, even in the GFC, you know, you could watch the news, whereas now you can't escape the, um, the social media. Uh, and that's a big difference that we're seeing now as well, is that signal noise ratio is really very, we've never experienced it in a crisis like this. Um, hypothetically, say someone has $100,000, a job that still pays them income, and they're willing to deploy that money with a 30-year investment horizon. How would you recommend they deploy that capital and, and how should they enter the market in a time like this?
1: Well, um, you take, I would take their fear quotient and I would divide the amount of money by their fear quotient and then tell them to get on with it. So if they've got 100,000 and their fear quotient is 10, I would divide 100 by 10, and I would suggest they invest $10,000 every quarter until they've got it all in. If it's yep. 20, I divide it by 20. If it's 1, I divide it by 1, and they throw 100,000 in today. Because the yep. problem that that I am so aware of, Andrew, is that, with all the best intentions in the world, there are people who can and should never, ever invest in shares. Emotionally, they're just not up to it.
0: Mm. I really like that. Actually, I've never heard that fear quotient used because um, people, you know, ask me all the time, just for in chatter, you know, is it time to get in? And you, it's, it's there's this perception that you need to go all in on black right now and pick the absolute bottom. Whereas, like you said, you can't. You don't have that crystal ball, and a much safer bet is to. Like uh, with your fear quotient, based on your risk tolerance to to buy in tranches, um, average on the way down, you might not you might miss the bottom and still be buying on the way up, but at least you've gotten in.
1: Andrew, this is one of the saddest things to observe. Everybody wants to know when we you know when and in or out or whatever, and the entire world is devoted to providing all this useless information because no one knows the right answer anyway. And hence we have all this noise, 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 noise. How many blasted blogs and and newsletters can you subscribe to? And do they all agree? They don't. Yeah,
0: Yeah, I think I was listening to to a talk the other day where someone said that of our decision-making in the stock market, 50% is based on noise, 25% is based on signal, and the 25% is based on actual uh, sound investing principles. And I think that, yeah, that 50% of noise is really um, uh, very loud at the moment. Uh, on In... Uh, well, as investors, we typically move through early accumulator phase and rapid accumulator, especially in the medical profession. We do have good incomes during that 20-year period and then move into peri-retirement and retirement. Do you think we should be taking a different approach to our investments during these different stages of our investing
1: careers? Not at all. Not at all. When, you know, in the, in the peak earning period, but I know that lifestyle is uh, often trumps investing um, and, you know, watching a couple, one spender, one saver, whether it's the guy who wants another four-wheel drive or a new fishing boat or the wife wants a trophy house, this white anting goes on and on. Um, You know, enjoy your lifestyle, but put away as much as you can for the future because, you know, we're now reaping the benefits in manifold ways as a result of just taking it easy um, I've never personally owned a new car in my life. We currently ride, uh, drive a 2005 Toyota Corolla, but you should see the cars I rent. Whoa!
0: Yeah, so pay for uh, pay for access rather than, than ownership when you want it.
1: Well, I'm I'm into renting lifestyle. I don't want to own yeah. it. I love sailing. I'll never own a boat. Yeah,
0: I think Kerry Packer famously said that uh, if it flies, floats, and F, so I won't say what the word is. Yes. <laughs> that uh, pay for it by the hour. Yeah.
1: Depends yeah.
0: yeah. Um, we're seeing a lot of cap raising at the moment, and um, uh, by companies to to get an extra runway to see them through this crisis. Are you getting involved with with these cap raisings, and um, yes. what are your thoughts on them?
1: Yeah. yeah. I mean, as a shareholder in Cochlear, um, I will t- take it up, and uh, yet yeah, judiciously, I shall go through picking stuff up. But at the moment, we are keeping a fair amount of dry powder just to see how things pan out with the family because you know with the three sons one of them his wife has unfortunately been made redundant the youngest son is now working only one day a week so we're just uh, we're just taking it week by week
0: yeah that that's a good good plan with the unknown future with um i think i've heard you mention previously about your emergency fund what do you keep as an emergency fund
1: well up until the sort of gfc and uh, the the current situation we had in our super fund roughly two years government mandated minimum pension because the government specifies the minimum that you must draw we had two years sitting in cash in the super fund Um, that meant that we could draw the pension and if share prices went down it didn't matter because we didn't have to sell anything And then the dividends refilled the tin. And so we had the buffer, which meant we never had to sell anything. Now, it annoyed me that we had all this cash sitting in the super fund. So outside I borrow uh, using the line of credit and the amount that I borrow outside to buy shares is roughly equivalent to the cash we're carrying in the super fund. So the debt on the one side and the cash balance on the other side net off so that we remain 100% exposed to equities, which is exactly where I want to be.
0: And not having to reduce your positions at the worst possible pricings and time of the market. That makes sense. Very good. Um, All right. Uh, I've got a few questions that uh, people had requested me to ask. And I think we've got still quite a few that we haven't covered just in our general chat. you happy for me just to fire away? Yep, we've got uh, James. He says, do you think the banks will stop paying dividends? And do you think franking credits is a luxury that Australia can no longer afford?
1: Um, I'm not sure which companies or which businesses are going to um, cut dividends or whatever. I've no doubt that we will. I'm aware of some already. So as I said, we've got the cash in the super fund. So we're not pressured uh, to do anything silly at this stage ranking credits are uh, much maligned. Uh, it's funny how things change. Paul Keating, the best liberal treasurer this country's ever had, um, introduced it in, in 1987. And if I can very quickly run the example, company makes a profit of $100, tax at 49, say 50 cents in the dollar. They pay $50.00 to the tax office, and they've got $50 profit. Let's say they pay that as a dividend to the shareholder. The shareholder gets that at the top marginal rate back then. He would have had to pay 50% to the tax office, so that was 25 So mm-hmm. out of a company making $100 profit, the tax office takes 75% of it and leaves the owners of the business with 25 Paul Keating changed that and levelled the playing field so that the tax that was paid by the company was used as a credit against the liability that the eventual end user would would be hit with. So it's the finest imputation system in the world, and it would be a great pity to see it pulled apart. But I can understand and I hear more and more that this could be wound up. Okay, I'll live with it. If they make it really hard, I'll damn well emigrate.
0: Yeah, as far as I understand, we're the only country that has the um, the, uh, um, uh, what is the franking credit system, aren't we?
1: Well, no, the UK. My dividends from the UK come with a uh, a a, frank, a tax credit as well. So we're not the only ones, but we've got the okay. cleanest one.
0: Yep. Okay. Vamsi's got a number of questions. So he says that there are a number of star fund managers who have managed to make it into the hall of fame of fund managing. And what are your thoughts on investing in the manager rather than the fund? And would you ever pay a premium to have a specific person manage your money?
1: I would never pay a premium to have some... uh, My view is the gods have feet of clay. This is why I like the old-fashioned listed investment companies. They have a CEO, they have a small... um, Independent board. They have a couple of analysts, and that's all that they do. But having worked in the funds management industry for some for some of the well known names in the industry, um, you know, I wouldn't pay to have my money necessarily run by a name. There's too much trading as well because I am looking for the listed investment companies that specifically have a long term goal of protecting the underlying capital and income over the longer term. Yeah.
0: Okay. And um, what are the top three listed investment companies that you would recommend?
1: Oh, crumbs. That's a tough one. Um, my view is is one. I, what can I say? I mean, I'm, I'm not giving these as a recommendation to anybody. They just happen to be ones that I'm invested in.
0: Yes, this is not financial advice. No, <laughs> seek 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 prefer- pay professional advice yes. from a advisor.
1: Because I know what everyone's going to do. They're going to go away and they're going to pull it apart and say, "Well, why would you invest in this thing? It looks like a bit of a dog." Um, no, I've I've often by accident ended up um, in some of these where a, a listed investment company's taken over something I've been invested in, and it was a share purchase. Um, Argo, Milton, and Whitefield are the core. That I've had and held for the longest.
0: Argo and Milton. Okay, good. And then um, Whitefield is one that you mentioned earlier on. That's a much smaller fund, it is. isn't it? It's a much smaller the reason you shifted
1: into that? Um, because it's 100% industrials. The other yep. big licks have shareholdings in the resources sectors, So they'll probably have BHP, Woodside, and Rio, which is okay. They're all large, high quality companies. Um, and I. I'm not that fussed, you know. Mm. So the others, Milton and, and Argo, I know have got them, but Whitefield I like simply because of its purity. It's 100% industrials.
0: Yeah. Jemima had a question on uh, about uh, Whitefield and industrials, Ben. If there was an all-industrials ETF made available, would you invest in it? Never. No, because of the, uh, the tax and because
1: distribution. I'm not interested in a trust structure. I want the company structure, where the, the company can retain profits if there's a takeover by of one of the companies then they have this huge capital gain they can reinvest that on behalf of the shareholders whereas a trust has to pay it out um, ETFs during the global financial crisis became the weapon of choice for the speculators and one of the ETFs there short sellers had sold five times more units in ETF than were actually on issue and I'm sorry, I'm not interested.
0: Yeah, yeah. Because at Wellwyn has a question, which is, how do you, someone find a financial advisor who invests with the Thornhill approach without charging crazy fees to, for the funds under management?
1: <laughs> Where can I find a doctor who doesn't charge crazy fees? <laughs> no, sorry, I'm being cheeky. Um,
0: well, at the moment, telehealth is uh, fee is fee free, I think. <laughs>
1: <laughs> the, this question i am asked more often than i care to think about i have four financial advisors whom i've known for a number of decades Uh, one of them is mine and i i am happy to send the list of these four to anyone who's interested because i cannot will not offer financial advice i don't have the skill and they can then choose to find the financial advisor who has the bedside manner that suits them, and Bob's your uncle.
0: Excellent. Uh, and Rob asked, did you get a whiff that the pandemic was coming and did it change your investing strategy?
1: Not at all. No, history repeats over and over, and this is why I love, you know, having, you know, studying or being aware of the history. It just goes on and on and on same old same old because the human race never learns as i say this pandemic is you know a a, a bit of a black swan event but this is not the first that we've had it's not the first you know war how many wars and so on so we just go on doing the same thing so the answer is no i am not fussed and i'm not changing anything i do
0: yeah and it won't be the last either John, Said you bought CBA in the GFC on the way down. Did you also buy it as it retraced back upwards as well and pyramid in?
1: Um, no, I didn't uh, because I had tipped in what I considered was a, an appropriate amount. And uh, and for, from my point of view, in a V shaped recovery, so the price goes down, down, then it comes up, up, up. Um, you know, with hindsight, the purchases on the way down at 50, 40, and 26. None of them look silly now. That's right, yeah. But everyone's yep. trying to finesse it to the nth degree. And it's honestly a waste of time and energy. Mm, it's about
0: staying invested and focusing on other things, really simplifying. And our last question was um, from Simon. What are your plans for updating your book, Motivational Money? Now, motivated Money. When
1: I've sold out of the, uh, the current edition, um, I will be reproducing and it will be the sixth edition since I first published back in 2002, and basically the fundamentals of the book have not changed one jot since I had the first edition. All there is has been an update of the data in there and a little bit of change to the current for the commentary to pick up on current events, but apart from the fundamentals of the book, it's exactly the same in all six, or will be when the sixth is popped up. It will. It's been the same in all five editions.
0: Yeah, you might just need to change the uh, the subheading of "sound financial advice for the post-Corona or COVID-19 world." <laughs> yes. <laughs> I've got it sitting in front of me right now, which is the post-GFC world. Good. Uh, That's been amazing. I'm so grateful. You've been so candid and so open about, um, you know, your own personal numbers, which I did not expect you to be. And, you know, most people are not um, open to to disclosing. And so I'm really grateful for that. Uh, Can you let listeners know how they can learn more about you?
1: Um, If they just go to the website. Motivated money, either Google that or Google my name and uh, it'll it'll pop up.
0: Yeah. I can say your book is only available via your website, isn't Correct. it?
1: Correct. Yes, yeah. I yeah. self-published, so there's no bookshop distribution, unfortunately.
0: Yeah. Would you look at doing an um, electronic version?
1: I, I think that's got to be on the cards, but being a bit of a Neanderthal, it'll, it'll take a little bit of time for me to get up to speed.
0: I think you'll be right you updated your website last last uh, last year I think I was reading some of the articles on there while on my exercise bike this morning and so I think it's definitely something you could consider for the next one um, So just a final question to finish off if you could travel back in time and visit your 30 year old self, what advice would you tell a 30 year old Peter Thornhill? Um,
1: get out of Australia for 10 15 20 years
0: and the reason for that.
1: The apprenticeship overseas is the thing that has totally altered our lives and not just from a financial point of view. Other aspects of it, you know, my wife and I, our three sons were born there. There was no family. My wife, when the first was born, um, she quit work. We took on a mortgage. We did the whole damn lot all on our own. And I've got to say... The, the pleasure that we derive and the sense of achievement that we derive is priceless. And I feel very sorry for all the kids today whose parents steal all those dreams because they want their kids to have everything today.
0: Yeah, that's, that's excellent, that resilience and um, uh, being able to do things on your own independence is the word I'm looking for, uh, is definitely an important skill take forward really in life, isn't it? Very good. Well, thank you very much, Peter. Um, Have a great afternoon.
1: Thank you, Andrew.
0: If you're interested in learning how to optimize your finances, please subscribe to this podcast. Also, head over to my blog, medicalmoney.com and subscribe to stay updated. If you know a colleague who might also find this information useful, please share this with them. I'd love to get your feedback, so send questions, comments, and recommendations to me at, at com. See you in the next episode.